Welcome to the Evolving Spiritual Practice podcast. My name is Ralph Cree. This is brought to you in association with bodyheartmindspirit.co.uk. In this episode, I talk with Levi Barker um, about the psychedelic plant Iboga that comes from um, the rainforests of Central Africa, Gabon, Congo, those kind of places. And um, Levi works at a retreat center, an Iboga retreat center in Costa Rica called Iboga Wellness. And he's worked with Iboga for 12 years. And he has been to Gabon and been through the proper Iboga initiation um, in the jungle in Gabon uh, with a shaman. And the Iboga Wellness Center in Costa Rica is a kind of blend of the uh, witty tradition um, from uh, the jungle of Central Africa and a kind of Western psychological approach and um, yeah, kind of blending the two. Um, this was a really interesting conversation for me to have because uh, Iboga is not something I know that much about. Uh, it's been on my radar for a few years and um, I've found it very interesting and, and, and uh, wanted to explore it more. Um, and Levi was a great person to do that with because he's very humble, matter of fact, open, honest um, and very, very experienced. Uh, he's helped hundreds of people um, and uh, you know, done the, the, the full initiation himself and worked with the substance for, for many years. And um, it really helped you know, uh, burst some of these urban myths that surround Iboga and this, you know, disinformation about it. And, um, you know, he, we, we really explored the ins and outs of this substance and the tradition and the use and the safe use and um, uh, what to expect from it. And um, yeah, I mean, I, normally do quite a lot of talking in my podcast episodes, but this one was just mainly me asking questions and sitting back and listening to Levi um, talk because he had uh, so much to say about it. And I think if a boga is something you're interested in, um, this is a good conversation to listen to because it's, um, you know, I think we, we explore a lot of the territory um, and uh, Levi wasn't holding anything back. He, he in Costa Rica, um, a lot of plant, maybe all plant medicines are um, freely used. They're, they're unscheduled, um, you know, so in the USA and uh, in England and Europe, a lot of these kind of medicines are uh, illegal, but Costa Rica, they, they don't have that problem. So he can talk very openly and freely about it. Um, and um, yeah, so I really, really learned so much in this conversation and I hope that you do and benefit from it. And uh, if it's something that you feel drawn to do, then I think um, Levi and the center in Costa Rica is probably a good place to start. So Levi Barker, welcome to the Evolving Spiritual Practice podcast. Um, so we, we are going to be talking about Iboga um today and um your the center you run uh, or work at in 
Costa Rica called Iboga Wellness. Um, and uh, yeah, so it, Iboga is something I ha haven't had experience of. It's uh, for those listening, it's a, it's a psychedelic um, plant from uh, West Africa, primarily um, Congo, rainforest and Gabon, those kind of areas. Um, but we'll go into that, you know, Levi, you're the expert on this. You can tell us all about that. Um, so, you know, just to tee up this conversation, um, I've had a lot of personal experience with many different plant medicines uh, over the last few decades, but Iboga is something I, I haven't come across uh, in my life. Um, it's something I found out about probably, well, it was a quite a few years ago, I was listening to the Joe Rogan podcast um, and um, there's a guy, Aubrey Marcus, he was on there and he talked about going to Africa and doing the Iboga ceremony over there. And, and, and it, that's the first I'd really heard about it. And I was like, wow, this sounds amazing. And since then I've been exploring it a bit. And um, you and I are paths crossed and uh, we thought it would be good to do a, uh, a podcast episode to share your story and the work you do and what Iboga is all about. Um, yeah, so there we go. That's uh, just teeing the conversation up. So um, perhaps, you know, would you mind just saying how you got into this work? You know, what, what brought you to Iboga and the Bwiti tradition, which is the sort of traditional context um, from West Africa? Or is it, sorry, we, am, I am I wrong in saying West Africa? Is it we talking Central Africa? So West Central? West Central? Yeah, cool. Okay. So, sorry, please, I interrupted you. Yes, so I came to Iboga like a lot of people. We come to Iboga not because uh, things are great, but, um, you know, short story is uh, a lot of drug and alcohol abuse on my mom's side of the family. Um, I definitely grew up with belief systems, you know, that I really ingrained knowing that kind of like I was going to be there one day. And I did, um, you know, the, my grandfather and his brothers from the time they were like 15 years old were, were heroin addicts. So I saw, you know, quite a bit, bit of that as a child. And uh, yeah, during that time, uh, on the news, you started seeing things about how genetics may play a role in, in addiction. And I remember seeing that and kind of being like, well, fuck if it's already, you know, it's already set. And, you know, especially, you know, young minds are very malleable. And, uh, you know, so I grew up with this belief that at some point, you know, I was going to try opiates. And sure enough, I did. I had a a snowboard accident when I was 19 and broke my wrist and that was my kind of first prescription for pharmaceutical opiates and uh, yeah I realized it uh, allowed me to get away from myself and kind of get out of my my own mind and uh, ease the anxiety and uh, that was great and like anybody that uh, does opiates that it's wonderful at first and then it really 
you know, the first time you become sick, you realize like what you've gotten yourself into. And uh, so, yeah, that led to a long-term, you know, opiate abuse uh, until I was about 30. And a really good friend of mine, uh, I was asking him, like, he, he, he knows a lot about plants and chemistry and a lot of things. And uh, he mentioned Iboga to me, that there was something that could help, you know, move past the addiction. And uh, yeah, I remember, you know, like a lot of people, once Iboga comes to them, it's, uh, first off, it's a very powerful, just primal word, Iboga. But um, yeah, people, you know, their intuition can tell them if there's something there for them, like maybe like it will for some of your listeners at some point, but um, yeah, I knew there was, a, a, I looked into it from there um, and I knew that was my, my way out. And I ended up doing, uh, which people shouldn't do for sure, but I was uh, living in Nicaragua at the time and I ended up doing a home detox just uh, on, my, on my own with my then girlfriend, now wife. And um, yeah, went through the experience. And when I came out the other side, I wasn't uh, physically addicted to opiates anymore. And that was the, you know, the first time in, 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 a, in a long time. But uh, beyond that, I felt better. You know, when somebody gets off opiates, there's a deep depression afterwards. And so uh, Viboga definitely helps manage that as well. And so from there, I, uh, even from that first, time I'd had Iboga, I knew I wanted to work with it, just how powerful it was. And um, so I went on living my life. And then maybe a year and a half later, um, there was a Gabonese shaman uh, that came to Costa Rica to start a retreat center called Iboga House. And that's actually where, where Aubrey went. So Aubrey went to um, our teacher's place called Iboga House. And so I met this teacher, his name is Maginda, uh, about a year and a half after my initial Iboga experience. So I think he, he, he saw something in me or thought it was pretty cool because I did the, you know, the medicine and the, the detox on my own and had met him already having the medicine. But anyways, we connected, became friends and uh, yeah, eventually started training me to be an Iboga provider. And so that essentially the first part of that is really sitting through a lot of ceremonies. And during that time, there would be sometimes, um, you know, we do three or four ceremonies in, in a week. So you're going, you know, three or four nights during the week, not, not sleeping. And um, so, yeah, got a lot of repetition in, a lot of just seeing a lot of different people, you know, the, everybody has their own experiences and problems, but really they kind of, narrow it down to like some big specific ones that uh you know are a lot easier easier to manage and so um yeah learning learning those and learning kind of the big picture solutions for for people and when i say that that's like saying what the medicine is going to give them themselves and just being able to kind of gently nudge them in the direction to see you know the truth of their situation their life whatever it is going on. And so, yeah, I did the training with McGinna for um, about six years and it wasn't six years straight. There is uh, definitely 
you know, I had a business at the time, so I was running my business, go to the Boga house for two, three weeks, a couple of months, go back home, do it again. So it was a good, um, and then McGinda ended up going back to Africa. He's in Gabon and um, uh, McGinda's first student to graduate is a man, my brother, spiritual mentor named Gary Cook. And he started Iboga Wellness seven years ago. And, um, and um, so I uh, came to work at Iboga Wellness. I was here for a year and then went to uh, Gabon to get initiated. I was kind of uh, an odd one because I had been around Maginda and the medicine so long that hadn't been initiated yet. And I went and got initiated. And when I did, did I got Maginda's blessing to serve the medicine. So it was a good seven years of working with Iboga and being around it and training a lot before ever giving anybody Iboga, you know, besides myself. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, so then that started. And so I've been with Iboga Wellness uh, ever since, last six, six and a half years. And we've had, over that time, had uh, yeah, over 900 people come to Iboga Wellness. We have small groups of five, seven max, more like five or six these days. And um, yeah, it's been amazing. Yeah, it's just amazing people, <clears throat> people come open, willing to, you know, look at themselves and learn and actually, you know, then take those lessons and not just understand them, but apply them. And um, yeah, a lot of lives uh, get, get changed for a lot of different things. And so, yeah, I'm just super blessed to be able to work with this medicine and, you know, be able to share it with the world. And uh, yeah, I think uh, Iboga has a really uh, big future. It's kind of just coming out now that it's not just this addiction tool, but it's also for all these other life problems that us humans have to deal with. You know, everybody has to deal with their own mind, their decisions, you know, their own internal dialogue, their emotions. And so this medicine really gets to the core of uh, allowing one to understand themselves, you know, on a very deep level. And when somebody understands themselves, then, you know, the path opens up forward on like, what do they want to spend their time doing and what do they want to focus on? And um, yeah, when you have those two things together, knowing really who you are and what you want and where you're going and staying on that path, then, uh, yeah, a lot of the uh, confusion or depression, you know, kind of falls by the wayside because, you know, the, those are very important things. So, yeah, the medicine really teaches us who we are and how to operate in this world at, it, at its core. And it's kind of hard to imagine that, um, you know, different medicines have different properties, you know, ayahuasca and mushrooms and San Pedro and peyote. They all have their different properties, but at its core, Iboga's properties are to teach us who we are and what we want. And um, so, yeah, that's what people come come here to do. And uh, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, well, one thing that, that stands out about Iboga um, to me is that Africa's not n known in the same way that say South and Central America are as a, as a place where entheogens or plant medicine, psychedelics, you know, uh, it's not well known um, 
for for for, for those kind of substances. Um, and iboga seems to be the primary one. I mean, I know there 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 are um, psychedelic compounds all over Africa um, that people have been using, but it's not been so much. Um, yeah, it doesn't. It, it hasn't uh, made its way into the the culture in uh, you know Europe and, and and America so much. Uh, well, at least as far as I can tell. Um, I mean, would you would you agree about that? I mean, what's it? It's it, it's quite an unusual th thing, for, you know, to to be associating psychedelics with with Africa. It seems. Yeah. No. Absolutely. It's. Uh much more, you know, underground per se. And, you know, what's interesting, if you look at, um, you know, uh, Brazil, Pangea, when it was connected, say, with Africa, you know, that's where kind of, a, as we see it, the Garden of Eden formed. So, you know, in Gabon, the Congo, Cameroon, that area is the second largest rainforest after the Amazon. And so if you look when Brazil, you know, was originally connected with West Africa, I mean, that's uh, very well could be the birthplace of life. And so, you know, that's where, you, where ayahuasca comes from as well, iboga from very similar jungles. And, um, but yeah, the, the, another reason, maybe so, I mean, it's harder to go to Africa. Um, iboga is just kind of getting a name for a tool for, for other other issues, but the pygmies also were the original people that worked with Iboga. They, uh, they kept it secret for many years. So they discovered the medicine, started working with it. The tradition grew from there and it wasn't, uh, nobody's exactly sure how long ago, but eventually they started sharing it with some of the other people and the other tribes and other groups in Africa. And so they kind of kept it to themselves for quite a while. And then from there, our teacher was really the first one to bring Iboga to the West, the first Bwiti shaman, and for sure the first English-speaking Bwiti shaman that could come share, you know, what uh, about Iboga. And uh, but yeah, no, not nearly as as well known and you know as traveled to for sure as South and Central America. Yeah. Yeah, not uh, yeah, India and places like that, and um, uh, South America much more explored, I suppose, maybe by the the, the hippies, um, you know, in the sixties and seventies, perhaps. Yeah. I don't know. I wasn't born then. I was born in nineteen seventy eight. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um. So the. Um, one thing I I'm, would be really interested to explore is that is is this difference between, you know, you you said you you did you at your first experience was just at home, you know, doing it yourself, um, uninitiated, didn't really know what you were doing, and, you know, that versus the a proper initiation like you did in um, well you you seem to have done sort of two types of initiation the one is in costa rica um and then the second was when you went to to africa and did the the traditional initiation and looking on your website the aboga wellness website they seem to be two quite different types of um introduction to aboga 
Um, so there's there's kind of three three entry points there to to working with this medicine. One is the kind of um, you know DIY at home, not advisable because one of the things that sticks out about iboga compared with a lot of plant medicines is um, the toxicity level. Um, psilocybin and DMT, uh, you know, very benign substances, um, you know, the toxicity level is extremely low. Um, whereas iboga, you know, once you get up into um, you know, very high dosages, there, there is a risk of fatality. Um, so that's, that's a factor with iboga, which doesn't, you know, isn't quite the same with magic mushrooms and those sort of things. Um, which is why I imagine it's very dangerous to just, you know, get some iboga, do this at home type of thing. Um, and then you've got this, um, you know, the, the slightly more westernized approach that, that you're, you're integrating the Bwiti approach with a kind of Western approach, it seems, in your retreat center in Costa Rica. And then you've got these hardcore um, traditional initiations in Gabon um which seem absolutely fascinating and and really extreme and and uh, the the traditional way to do it so could could you please talk about this, the differences between those three <clears throat> yeah um well with the detox and I'm glad you mentioned it definitely isn't advisable um especially for a detox and you know, when you hear about the dangers of Iboga or any deaths that have taken place, they've all been detoxes. Um, I've never heard of anybody, um, you know, going to like a psycho-spiritual retreat like ours or even Gabon, um, you know, to go get initiated and, and die. What happens with the detoxes is they either make stupid decisions and they do opiates afterwards. Um, which, you know, the, the Iboga resets their tolerance down to baseline. And so they go and do opiates thinking that they're going to need as much as they did before and can overdose or, um, you know, some, yeah, there, there's, there's been some deaths on the detox side, but yeah, with the uh, psycho-spiritual side, you know, we require everybody to get an electrocardiogram. And if they're otherwise healthy and have a decent heart, um, the medicine is very safe. And I think the, the toxicity um, levels uh, would be extremely high. I know there's been some research on that, but it would be more than a human can take. Okay. I'm aware. Um, but um, yeah, the main, you know, doing it at home, one of the big reasons is the, um, the medicine gets you very off balance. You can stand up and feel clear and, and, and focused and you stand up and your whole vision can shift and you know, feel like your, your head spins around. Um, and so it's important to, to have somebody there to guide you if you have to go to the bathroom. Um, we did have a client that came one time that did a home detox and, and fell and, and hit his head. So yeah, you don't, you don't wanna do that. You know, Back when I did it, there wasn't nearly as many options, but there's a lot more options now for people that do need to de detox. And so the detox experience is very different than uh, coming to the medicine clean or, you know, for psycho-spiritual reasons. You know, its main priority is going to be getting physically clean. And so it's 
very much going to go to work on that. Um, you know, things definitely happen in the mind and emotionally, um, but its main uh, focus is to get somebody through the physical part of a, of a opiate or any other <clears throat> addiction. And so, um, yeah, the, that, you know, that's kind of kind of step one. Um, and then I think it is important, kind of like I did, and then I went to Costa Rica, had some ceremonies with, with our teacher, which were completely different and much more, uh, you know, introspective and a lot more realizations about myself than, than the detox. And yeah, that's kind of a melding of, you know, comfortable space for the Westerner, while also integrating, you know, the kind of the core aspects of the Bwiti, um, and most of that comes via an oral tradition that uh, essentially the oral tradition is the same lessons that come from the medicine. And so what uh, Bwiti found, what we find is the medicine gives a, a lot of the same lessons to everybody pretty consistently. You know, like I said, people come with their own experience, but the answer or the solution in the end um, it's very similar for a lot of people. So there's very consistent messages with this medicine. And so, yeah, being able to, um, you know, being in the right environment to be able to, to recognize the lessons when they come in and, and how to integrate them and how to like really make them a part of your life is important. So that's, you know, a big part of what happens while people are here. So, uh, so yeah, if you're, you know, to, to bring, uh, get up on, the, on one of the points there that, if you're on your own, you might miss some of these messages. That, so because you've worked so many times with this uh, medicine and you, you're saying there are, there's a kind of handful of themes which tend to come up. And once you start to see that theme, um, you know, happening with a, with, with a person going through this medicine, then you can sort of draw their attention to that and say, is that what you're saying? Um, yeah. Yeah, present it to them. Um, no, you know, like you said, knowing working with the medicine, the same lessons that have been passed down from the Bwiti for who knows however many hundreds or thousands of years, you know, even the earliest humans, the pygmies were still human. You know, they still had to deal with human things, you know, whether it's in mind, body or soul. And so, yeah, these, these lessons about life and just operating here on earth consistently kept coming through. And so, been passed down from generation to generation you know i was able to receive it through our teacher i share it now with the guest here and so and and they're just you know essentially universal truths and these truths can be recognized without iboga or in other traditions and paths as well but um but yeah the you know presenting it to people letting them know what the medicine teaches so whenever they have it and can recognize it have the experience themselves and then be able to confirm it themselves as the truth because it's one thing to hear it from us and nobody you know we don't expect anybody to take our word for it but we want to present it to them so whenever they do have the boga and that lesson or that experience comes comes through you know they can then experience it and know it know it as the truth for themselves and so yeah try and you know really make that accessible for people because it's a big part uh, of life these these truths but i def in in a moment i'd definitely like to 
explore that Bwiti tradition and the and some of these core truths. Um, you know, just obviously it's in the abstract because you know we're not. Uh, this is just a conversation. It's not a <laughs> an evoke <laughs> experience. Um, but so so we're we're in this kind of you know the the Costa Rica model. Um, your your sense of way it's a you're kind of blending you know Western psychology with the Bwiti tradition. You, you know, it's a bit more comfortable, uh, maybe a bit more passive in the sense that you know these people can lie down on mattresses and they've got people helping them go to the toilet and, and that sort of thing. Um, and then um, in the with the the traditional witty initiation um, with a boga in the jungle um, in Gabon seems much more um active um you know dancing all night and uh uh you know no 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 lying down and um you know going deep inside yourself uh, in that kind of passive way it's much more of a kind of extroverted experience it seems so could you just talk a bit about your experience of of the traditional initiation i mean obviously there's some parts that are, that are secret that can't be discussed um, yeah, yeah, there's some things, but you've described it pretty, pretty well, you know, you know, versus here, you, you have to have your eyes open. They want you staring at a fire all night. So there's these torches that are there and these torches burn all night. And yeah, so you have to sit up. Yep, you're right. You can't lay down. Um, there's definitely dancing involved, you know, different different rituals, you know, music is, is amazing. So you got, you know, 40, 50 people all, you know, in unison on essentially this play. Like it's, it's, it's kind of like, uh, like jazz in the way. There's definitely a lot of improvisation, but there come certain points in the ceremony where it's like, do we go this way or that way? And I'm not sure how they decide which way they're going, but then everybody knows to go that way. And then it comes to, to this point and everybody knows to now do this. And yeah, so it's amazing that way. And they go, go a long time, you know, um, you know, I would expect to be in there at least 14 hours, 16 hours. And, um, you know, you don't really have a choice on how much medicine you're taking either. You know, if they come over with medicine, better take it. And you got, you know, or a temple, full of people staring at you and it motivates you pretty good. Um, and yeah, it's really, it's really beautiful. And there's definitely, you know, a lot of introspective time that happens after that, you know, you can go and then lay down and kind of, like you said, go inside yourself. And so, yeah, they're different experiences. I mean, I think with either way, people can get exactly what they need for themselves through the medicine. Um, but most people just aren't going to go right to, you know, uh, Gabon to get initiated. Some people will, for sure. But a vast majority of the people, you know, they hear about Ivoga and, you know, reading on the internet, it sounds super scary and, uh, you know, so intense that you won't even be able to handle it. And when it's, it's not really that way, it can be very intense and it's a long, grueling journey. But, um, yeah, it's not, a, not as bad as people tend to make it up in their mind. And so, um, 
Yeah, typically, you know, most people that it's good for them to have the time for themselves and like the deep processing time of the medicine. Um, you know, you have this whole show happening around you in, in Gabon, uh, which is so super, super beautiful, but you're not, I mean, at some points, but mostly there's so much happening around you. You're just like, your senses are just overwhelmed. So you're, you're definitely focusing on, on that more than, you know, you. Yeah. And it perhaps now would be a good time to just explore what and what what it's like when you're under the influence of Iboga. And so I mean it, it I mean the first thing I've I've heard from it is that it's, it's it can be a very long experience. It can last up to you know it can last for, for up to 36 hours I've heard. I don't know whether that's an exaggeration but um you know, so is, is that like one dose of it would last 36 hours or is that one dose and then a few hours later you have a bit more and then you have a bit more, you know, would, would one dose, one single dose last for 36 hours? It could, it could, you know, everybody has a different sensitivity to Iboga. So at least for their, you know, when people come here for a week, they get the medicine twice. And so at least for the first time, um, we're trying to figure out where their tolerance is and it doesn't, uh, you know, have to do with how big, you know, someone is male, female, um, just everybody, you know, you can get a, you can tune in pretty well after doing it for, for quite a while, but, um, at least on the first one, we stagger everybody up for the first ceremony. So we'll give them some medicine, wait an hour and 20 minutes or so, see how they're reacting, you know give them a bit more if they need. And so the goal is to get everybody deep to go in, get what they need from the experience, but then hopefully come back and sleep, you know, 24, 28 hours later. Some people will go, you know, 36 hours or even longer. But, you know, during that time, I mean, it's, it's calmed down. It's not like you're in this super intense experience it's just as the medicine's working on you until it allow kind of the, the rule is until you sleep like it's still giving you what you need and so you know by that time you've gotten so cleansed physically mentally you've thought everything you could ever think um you know eventually your mind will kind of shut down and your body will relax and you may not be sleeping but you're just kind of there present for a while you know waiting for sleep to come. And um, but yeah, the, med the, the experience, you know, there's, there's certain symptoms that uh, happen with Iboga. Um, you know, people definitely get sensitive to light, see a lot of flashing lights. Um, as, it, as it works through you physically, it's very good neurologically for people, but you can kind of feel it refiring, you know, your nerves, uh, you know, even say synapses in, in, in the brain and just a lot of kind of little electrical activity and not, not to where it's alarming, but you can definitely feel it working through your body. Um, there is, you know, when you get up, uh, it can make you dizzy or when you move too quickly. So we encourage people to move really slow. Um, and, you know, with Iboga, probably 60% of people will have some sort of vision. So people have an eye mask if they want to use while they're here. 
um, you know, but 60% of people have some sort of visions, you know, um, out of that, you know, half of them will have significant visions. A lot of visions can just be, you know, a purging of the subconscious and, you know, clearing of the mind. And, but then some people will go into full, just immersed uh, worlds or situations in their life that can happen. Um, everybody to some degree gets a mind detox. And when people get a mind detox, essentially their mind is just on rapid fire for, you know, two, three, four hours um, going every direction, but without, not, but without a conclusion. And so what's happening there is the medicine is, you know, going in the mind, bringing up, you know, all the things that don't need to be there anymore and moving them out <clears throat> and creating space in the mind. And so, you know, when people get that and they all do to a degree, you know, everybody just reports having some space in their mind again, you know, not just uh, fully living there anymore. And so, yeah, people, you know, are pretty much laying down for the most time or sitting out by the fire. And, um, and th this goes on, you know, we, we start our ceremonies at 8.30 at, at night. And then here in Costa Rica, the sun's coming up around 6. And so we get everybody up around, actually, it's coming up earlier now. It's coming up around 5.20. We get everybody up around 5.20 and go, go back to their room for some quiet time. So during the night, there's different uh, you know, things happening for people and rituals and cleansings that we do. But uh, you know, a big part of them is just them laying there and allowing the medicine to work on them. And so you know, the, everybody will be feeling the medicine to some degree, at least for 24 hours. You know, usually by around two, three the next day, you know, people kind of start getting up, wanting to get outside, lay in the hammock or whatever. And um, yeah, and then slowly from there, people kind of start eating again and kind of coming back into themselves. And um, so the goal is for everybody to sleep the following night and probably 85% of people do. And another 10 or 15 end up staying awake that second night as well. And so it can be long, but you know, if, uh, people are typically okay with it. You know, they wanna sleep, but um, they understand that, you know, they're getting, getting worked on and, you know, accept that. And so once a person sleeps is when you can really kind of recognize whenever they wake up the next day, recognize and, and kind of evaluate like the gifts and what you receive through the experience. Sometimes it can be a blur, especially during the ceremony when the medicine's at its strongest point, a lot can be going, going on and, all your senses are just bringing everything in. And so it can be a little chaotic during that time. Eventually medicine that next day slows down, you know, um, and some of, the, some, of the, some of the release happens for people. And, um, but once they wake up the next day is when they can really feel the difference and understand what's happened. You know, for example, you know, this thing this memory or this experience that somebody came for that they just can't quite get over. They think about it now, they understand it and recognize it, accept it, but they've kind of made the decision like um, that they're not going to hurt themselves with this experience anymore and, uh, you know, move forward from it. And so people start realizing things about themselves and, you know, 
maybe they came in very negative, they're noticing they're not doing that or not willing to uh, accept, you know, uh, allowing them to kind of self-abuse themselves with their own mind anymore. And so, yeah, the next day is when people really feel the difference. So, you know, so people have um, visions. Um, I mean, it, it's something like DMT, for example, you know, you know, the type of visual DMT visuals that people experience. Um, is, does that tend to be part of the aboga experience? You know, is, is it or is it not so much a visual thing? Um, I mean, I know you're saying 60% of people get visions, but is it, you know, sort of the, the, the visual side of it is very, very marked uh, aspect of, say, DMT and psilocybin. Um, but it sounds like not necessarily so much with, it, with Iboga. Yeah, it cannot be. I would say it's, it's definitely not as visionary as, say, like ayahuasca mm -hmm. is. You know, with that said, I mean, people can have full-on visions. It really comes down to depending on what they need and, and like how the medicine sees the best way to teach them. And so, um, but, you know, yeah, like some of the visions can be insignificant, you know, a clearing of the mind, and some of them can be significant. Um, but what's for sure going to happen is people are going to reflect on on their life yeah that that seems to be the thing i've heard about iboga is is this kind of yeah reflecting on your life things that you've done events that have happened relationships you've had how other people felt in circumstances you know uh, ways you've treated other people um you know that you i've heard people say you can feel it as if it was from the other person's perspective you know those these things you did to them and um that seems to be very from the limited amount i've heard of iboga seems to be very much the theme of it um that that kind of looking yeah healing your life story uh so to speak um, and moving moving on freeing yourself from it does that sound um in the right area yeah yeah it's yeah it does well said okay yeah cool <laughs> it's, uh, so so that all sounds really good um so the kind of so the 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 more scary uncomfortable side of the experience because you know i mean I, I i know plant medicines you know lots of different have lots of different experiences and you know you, you have all of the these 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 great sides to it they're sort of um beautiful the insights the can be quite pleasurable but then there's 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 often a a sort of an uncomfortableness that's going on and and i think openly talking about those aspects of it can help people not be surprised by them when they happen I mean, you, you've, you've, you've alluded to some there, you know, these bright flashing lights that people experience, that kind of feeling of electricity in your, in your brain going on. I mean, they're uh, sort of disorientation when you stand up. But I mean, so there's, there's some other things, because you know, when I've mentioned Iboga and talked to other people about it, quite a lot of the time, 
people say it, it's hard work. You know, it's like when when you when you talk about magic mushrooms or DMT, uh, that tends not be the first thing that come out of people's mouths. Ayahuasca, um, people usually, you know, that 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 is quite a difficult experience. Ayahuasca, you know, it's, um, it can be quite terrifying, and there's all the puking and and all of that stuff. Um, you know, what what are some of the the the, the parts to the iboga experience which if people knew about before they went into the experience, they'd be, and it would start to happen. They'd be like, ah, okay, I've heard about this. I don't need to freak out. Um, well, maybe you've, maybe you've covered them all already. I don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> one, one thing with Iboga that's important to, uh, for people to learn about if they're interested in Iboga, of course, is, you know, the, the plant itself, you know, the medicine is in the roots, so it's very earth-focused, you know. Something like ayahuasca is definitely reaching out, looking to connect with things and grab on. Um, so in the iboga experience, it's never scary. And so that's kind of relieves a lot of people. Like it can be hard and there can be, you know, it, it's a, like, like your friends have said, it's definitely a lot of hard work, but, but it doesn't get scary. You know, people always understand where they're at, what's going on, who they are. Um, you know, so oh, so you don't, you don't have um, that. What well, I mean, we are making massive generalizations here. I understand that, but uh, this kind of complete ego dissolution that you might have with something like ayahuasca can just blow you into a into a tiny little pixels. You know, a, a billion pixels. Um, you know, that, that kind of blowing you wide open uh, can be quite terrifying. So you're saying that that tends to not happen with Iboga. It can I'm sure be, it's dosage dependent. I'm <laughs> yeah, to, yeah. You know, it can definitely blow you wide open, but in kind of a, a different way, just the way where you're still connected, you know, here on Earth and with what's going on rather than, you know, getting blown away in this other... Uh, this other spiritual realm, you know, say with ayahuasca. And so, um, yeah, people are typically relieved to, to know that. I know I've, I've had that as well with ayahuasca. Like, you know, I've been scared before, you know, and uh, at one time, yeah, one time I thought I was actually going to die on ayahuasca. And so it was me, my wife, and two of our local Nicaraguan friends. So it was kind of nice some Nicaraguan people back in the day got to experience some different plant medicines, which was cool. And so we, we had some ayahuasca and um, at some point I got in this, uh, this loop that I'm, that I'm gonna die. We're, we're sitting here and my friend had a, like a circle adobe house, which was a good ceremony area. And I remember thinking, well, if I'm gonna die, I'm gonna at least crawl outside that way you know, I don't disturb the ceremony. Oh, how considerate <laughs> of you. <laughs> and so I we went outside and I'm crawling there. And right when my, like, I'm going like a chicken, you know, like face down in, in the dirt. And uh, this, this plant like came up and like breathed this life back into me. And I came back into myself and like, oh shit, yeah, no, I'm good. We go, go back inside. Mm. But um, yeah, these, these really kind of losing touch with reality 
experiences, um, you know, I shouldn't say reality, but it, you know, it's just a different, different realm with all, all the medicines have their own way of kind of connecting with the spirit world and, and getting in there. And, um, yeah, Iboga is, is, uh, very logical in, in many ways. And, uh, yeah, so. Um, so that's interesting because um, another thing, well, I, uh, I, had a, I had a look on Wikipedia um, about Iboga um, a while back and um, they were talking about sort of um, that in the tra traditional initiations where I mean, I'm not saying Wikipedia is like the best source of information for these things, but it was just, it, it was, I was just like, just flicking through Wikipedia and I said, like, oh, we'll, we'll look, at, look at Iboga. And one of the things that was coming up on there was um, these near-death experiences. Um, and um, I don't know whether that's even a thing or whether it's just someone on, uh, some ethnographers from, you know, hundreds of years back would said this about, you know, when they were visiting these areas of, um, uh, of, of Africa so is 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 a near-death experience you know I mean obviously you know you're kind of dying to the life you've lived up to this point you know letting it go all, all of those kind of like a bit more kind of more kind of metaphorical but you know we, we you were just talking there about you know ayahuasca and, and and other things can really make you feel like you're dying and um, you know part of the experience so, something that you glean afterward is is that um you actually went through that experience where you thought you're dying and you came out the other side and you made it and uh you you're stronger and you're you know it's a great relief um so is is that is this you know near-death experience or ritual death you know, like a, a big part of, of the Iboga ceremony or, 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 or not so much? Is, is that uh, not good information I came across? Yeah, not, not here anyways. I mean, there is some Bwiti that talk about they want to take you right to the edge, you know, where, you know, with the medicine, take you right to the edge so you can fully enter the spirit world. And, you know, depending on the Bwiti, um, there is definitely a lot of connection with, with ancestors and, um, you know, especially with the pygmies, their buidi is called the Sumba, which is essentially using the medicine to connect with ancestors. And so they, you know, paint themselves white, like, you know, spirit, you know, um, but, you know, here it's definitely all about life, even though maybe they may be taking people to you know this uh, you know and i'm sure some of them have they give them so much iboga like you know over days or something that um you know you can't essentially get paralyzed after a while if you have enough iboga um you know you'll just be laying there for three four days have to have people give you water and you know this would be an african thing of course and um you know but coming coming back in like to experience that death would be definitely be able to come back to earth and be able to celebrate and appreciate the gift of life. And so, you know, typically the, the medicines teachings are, are to really instill a deep appreciation for the gift of life and understanding that your life is the greatest gift 
that can ever be given because without our life, we're not really sure what's happening as far as we can verify with our, with our senses. And so, um, yeah, a lot of people need that coming into the medicine. So you know, I would say that, uh, yeah, you know, Wikipedia was probably referencing like Bweedy or po possibly Pygmy uh, Bweedy as well. But uh, yeah, no, Bibogan is definitely the tool for you know, celebrating and valuing life. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you for, for clearing that up. Yeah. Um, so, you know, something that, that, you know, theme of what of our conversation so far is there's these kind of gradations of immersion into Iboga and the tradition and, you know, really people should, like most things in life, you know, start on the shallow end and work your way up and you can go as deep into this as, as, as you want, you know, as, uh, as you want right up to those, to being paralyzed for three days and having someone feeding you water. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it's all, it, we all, you know, kind of claim to know the wisdom of starting in the shallow end and working our ways up, but, you know, so, and I, I'm guilty of this many times in my life as, as much as anyone else of thinking, ah, I, I think I'll, I'll skip the intro and I'll just go right in <laughs> and, uh, yeah, have my butt kicked many times. Um, so perhaps, um, we could talk a bit about the witty tradition and some of these kind of universal themes that you were talking about that, that in the witty tradition, you know, some of this kind of, uh, these themes of wisdom that tend to come through in the, uh, the, the Evoga ceremonies um, and, and how they relate to the, the, the witty tradition itself, you know, how those themes are nested in the, you know, that, 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 cult, that cultural tradition. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so the, the big one I just mentioned at its core, like if somebody's coming in, uh, you know, abusing themselves in, in some way, whether that's living from the past or constantly living in the future, um, you know, the, the big lesson for the, from the medicine is going to give people a new appreciation for being, for being given their life and understanding this, what, you know, you know, that, that their life is, is everything, you know, and so, um, you know, in understanding that from the time we came into this world, as far as nature is concerned, everything that we'll ever need is already here for us, you know, so anything that we'll ever need as humans is provided by nature and life itself. And so, you know, everything that we'll ever need, you know, people talk about going to Mars, but I can promise you there's nothing I need on Mars to live because everything was created here for us humans. And so it's a big one for people to get that, uh, you know, a lot of people we, we growing up in the West get, uh, you know, we're, we're taught to be hard on ourselves or really kick our own ass and like just grind it through and get it done whether you like it or not and you know so people uh you know with with time kind of realize that uh you know they're they're abusing themselves and so we talk about uh there, there's a, a lot of them um one of one of the big things that we break down in the buidi is is time into five parts 
So we look at time, you know, as everything that happened before we came into the universe, before we were given our life, is the first part of time. The second part of time is everything from the time we were born just up until before the present moment. The third part of time is the present moment. Fourth part of time is our future until we leave our physical body. And the fifth part of time is everything that happens after we die, you know, all the future of, of humanity afterwards. And so in the Bwiti, we look at depression as always living in the past, you know, making decisions from the past, constantly going back there. When you get stressed, go back there, you know, with this memory to give you a certain feeling to, you know, verify whatever it is that you're, you know, getting from that emotion. And we look at anxiety as living in the future, always making decisions and being, you know, thinking of the worst possible case outcome of every decision that comes across to your mind. And so, you know, understanding that the only time we can ever control or the only time that's real or anything is ever done is, of course, the present moment. And so, like in a lot of traditions, you know, being present is having all your senses operating at once, or at least having some of them operating at once. And so one thing we do in the Bwiti to kind of, if we're learning how to connect with our senses and get some present time, and you know, a lot of people talk about the present moment. Nobody's ever present all the time, you know, not even the Dalai Lama, you know, so it's unrealistic to think that you're going to be always in the state of presence, but we do need some present time you know and um so we do that by tuning into our senses and what we do is kind of cycle through our senses very simply what do i see what do i feel what do i hear go through two or three of those senses and so we know the present moment is so important because our intuition is the way that our own soul speaks to us so you know when we came into this earth we were given a mind a body and a soul and of course, we need to take care of those three things in order to have a, a good life. And so we understand in the Bwiti that our own soul and whether, you know, you look at it as your higher self or whatever your viewpoint is on that. And we definitely have a lot of people that, not a lot, but we have people that come in that aren't interested in spirituality or, you know, even energy. They're just coming, you know, for this specific problem. And this is kind of their first inter introduction into anything spiritual and thankfully it still works for them and they typically come out you know viewing the world in a different in a different way but we look at our intuition as the way that our own soul speaks to us and in the Bwiti we know that our intuit our soul is our guide for you know the big decisions in life you know we have our mind for planning and logic but for big decisions we need to be able to check in with our soul get an answer, trust it. And once we do that several times, trust it and the right outcome comes and we you know, build confidence in it and uh, learn to fully, fully trust that. And so, you know, within that, um, or I'll say there's one uh, Bwiti, the only, there's one Bwiti law and uh, it's called the law of nature. And the law of nature says that everything on this earth was put here for us humans to use as we need 
you know, whether it's the water, the food, the plants, everything was put here for us, but we can't abuse nature. And so we can't just go, you know, tearing up the earth for profit or greed. And the price to pay for abusing nature is one's own happiness. And so the people making really big decisions on the environment or hurting people, abusing nature, um, I can promise they're just not happy because they're breaking that law. And, you know, it goes a bit deeper as we have to realize we're also part of this organism of life and we come from nature ourselves. You know, so we're part of nature as well. So when we abuse ourselves, we're also breaking that law and the same price to pay is our own happiness. And how do we abuse that law? Typically, it's the things we tell ourselves or it's beliefs we have about ourselves. We're very concerned with knowing the truth in the bleeding. There's a very you know, big difference between believing things and knowing things. And, um, you know, so we want to be able to verify things with our senses in order to fully, fully know them. And, um, yeah, so a lot of, you know, what's beautiful about the Bwiti is there's really kind of a lesson, a universal truth that can apply to pretty much all of the human experience. You know, so as things come up, whether it's things that bother us or decisions or, you know, planning or what we do with the past, what we do with our mind, there's these, all these truths that kind of fit into a nice package that then somebody has the medicine, goes in and confirms them all for themselves and comes out with the really deep ingrained, you know, positive tools that they can then use for the rest of their life, their lives. And it takes, you know, it's not like they come and you know, have one or two ceremonies, but they, you know, they practice on this path and keep putting in the repetition. Eventually it becomes automatic. And if you do these tools, your life can't help but get better because that's, you know, it, it's just, um, yeah, there's all really valuable tools for, for that you can use forever. But yeah, that's and, good. You. Um, well, um, that all sounds, you know, re uh, really sensible, and and as you say, very logical. Um, and one thing I wonder is, in the Bwiti tradition, so in in Gabon or um, other places where iboga is used, and they have the Bwiti tradition, um, do is iboga a central part? of the Bwiti tradition? Or are there people that practice the Bwiti tradition, but they never do Iboga ceremonies? Um, Iboga and, and Bwiti are together. Right. So the, 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 the tradition comes from Iboga. So, so, so you, because um, the reason why I ask it is, is sometimes in um, some tribes you have uh, shamans who will use the, the they'll use the plant medicine but they'll be treating other people who haven't taken the medicine or <clears throat> you, you might have um, cultural traditions in a tribe which are not linked to a specific plant medicine and but I'm from what I'm hearing you say that um, well so would everybody who practices Bwiti have to do iboga 
ceremony. Uh, and the, the other question is also in my mind is, is this for, for men and women? Because, you know, in some traditions, it's only men that do certain things or, or only women that do certain things. But is, is, is Bwiti and Iboga for both sexes in, uh, in Africa? It is, yeah. <clears throat> both male and female Bwiti that come together as a group. And then the, the women typically lead the initiations for the women and the men do the, do the men. And then they have their ceremonies where they come together as well. But what you're saying for people looking to get like healing in the village, um, then yeah, no, they, they would work with Bwiti shamans as well, even if they hadn't had the medicine. So, you know, whether it's a neighboring village or somebody with some problems, they would definitely, um, you know, accept and request help from the different Bwiti shamans, both male and female. And so there is, there, you know, part of being, say, a Bwiti shaman is understanding all the plants in the forest, what they do, and what they can be used for. And so, um, yeah, it would be used for, for um, you know, they can definitely do healing without iboga as well. But if somebody wants to be Bwiti, and the only requirement really to be Bwiti is to go to Africa and go through the initiation, you know, with, with you know, a legit group of Bwiti. And um, once you see, you know, so a lot of people in Africa anyways may just go and get initiated once, you know. And even though it's Gabon, that's still a small percentage of people. If you ask, uh, I remember going to the, the, the consulate in Washington, D.C. the first time I went to Gabon, and she asked me what I was going to do. I'm like, well, I got I have a friend there, and I'm going to go get initiated. And she was really surprised and like, you are, wow, that's pretty wild. And, <laughs> and uh, so even then they know the bleeding are, you know, full on and, and what they do. But a lot of people get initiated just once in their life or maybe, you know, kind of go to a ceremony periodically. And then there's, you know, people that go full in as, you know, adults or young men. And then of course there's the people just born into it. And, um, but yeah, they do do a lot of different healing that uh, is non, you know, Iboga ceremony work. So can, can anybody, uh, you know, provided they do the initiation um, from any part of the world, uh, be initiated into the Bhutti tradition and be welcomed into it? I mean, is it or is it is it only for people from from uh, these regions of Africa, or can you know? I mean, are you uh, a legitimate part of the Bwiti tradition now, you know, as a, as an American? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, for sure. I, I am, but yeah, you, you know, somebody has to kind of invite you, you know, you have to talk with somebody to get into Gabon. You actually have to get an invitation from a Gabonese person to, to get entrance. And, um, but yeah, you know, our teacher holds initiation. So if somebody wanted to go, you know, he would, essentially you just make sure they're ready and, and invite them to come. Um, so yeah, that's, that's. Okay. So it's a, uni it's a universal thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's for, it's yeah. for everybody. And that's kind of a newer thing. It wasn't like that before. Eventually, <clears throat> you know, the pygmies shared the medicine with the rest of Gabon and then, you know, different kind of offshoots of Bwiti were born of that. And then our teacher, the reason he came to the U.S. was to spread Iboga 
to the Western world. And so, um, you know, he was looking to bring people into the medicine. And so that's, you know, that's happening in Gabon now. There's you know, more tourists and uh, people just coming to get initiated there. And so, yeah, they're definitely uh, welcoming of it. And they have to be kind of similar into the, <clears throat> into some of the South American traditions. And I'm sure to an extent in Gabon, you know, some of the young people that grow in it just aren't interested in it. You know, they want to go live in the city and, you know, the, um, you know, have big stereos and a big TV and stuff. And so, <clears throat> so they're, they're definitely open to sharing it and, and being willing to teach uh, Westerners about the tradition, but they do, you know, kind of spoon feed it to you, you know, little bits by little bits, which is a good, good way to do it. Yeah. And, and what about, um, conservation concerns around the plant you know the the wild plant no but i mean it's something that crops up quite a lot with um the uh the, the toads in the sonoma desert with the you know the buffo 5meo dmt and i uh, uh the the vines for ayahuasca brew and you know all of these uh peyote cactuses and uh you know is, is that a theme with with the aboga plant you know growing wilds and is it is it something that you're concerned about or the uh the witty practitioners in gabon is it something they talk about um yes yes there is um there iboga is very difficult to get um and a lot of it there is a problem with poaching so what some of the elephant poachers found is so the elephants will eat the iboga fruit and actually elephants eat iboga as well. And, wow. but they're, they're yeah. and it, 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 I presume we got fair, you know, fairly similar nervous systems in a way to, a, to an elephant. I mean, is that part of the, do locals in the forest know that, about, that the elephants come and they eat iboga and that they, they have these experiences with iboga and, um, you know, is that, is that something that's recognized? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, porcupines will also eat it. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah, the, the, uh, yeah, the elephants eat it, but they eat the fruits as well. And so they're one of the main disseminators of the, of the uh, disease. Okay. Yeah. Fortunately, you know, people, um, elephant poaching realize oh here's this other commodity that i can sell on the black market you know and so there's definitely some of that there is people with plantations um but a lot of it is just deep in the forest which is good so the people that grew up on that land and you know has been on that land for generations it may be uh you know very deep in the forest where you have to go walk two three four days to get to it um, but there's definitely boga back there, but there does need to be um, other cultivation. Um, and, and there is, there's different uh, plantations popping up in different parts of the world. And it's, you know, it's a slow process. You need a good six, seven years for an iboga plant to grow to be able to use it. And, um, you know, so one thing that Gabon, they're not, uh, 
they don't do a lot of agriculture. And so some of them are starting to realize like there's a really good way to make money here, but um, you, they still would go out and just harvest iboga in the wild rather than, you know, doing their own plantation. But there's, there's different things happening. Um, there's a guy named Jan who has a project called Blessings of the Forest, which essentially raises money for different uh, Gabonese families to start iboga plantations and, um, you know, keep, keep growing iboga. Um, and so, but it, 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 iboga is growing and it's going to continue to grow as word gets out on how good it is for all these different things. And so um, it's good that it's more underground now because if everybody came to Iboga like they did for say ayahuasca, there probably wouldn't be enough for everybody to be honest. And so um, it's good that you know Iboga is kind of in its growth phase. Um, one of the other questions I wanted to ask you was, um... How, what's in your mind the difference between iboga and, and, and ibogaine? Um, you know, because I something I've come across is you know I, mean, I, I tend to be drawn more towards uh, you know a, a natural substance and the traditional use of it versus um, you know an isolated alkaloid like ibogaine. Um, you know, if you come across well, I think actually you use in your ceremonies uh, at your center in Costa Rica, you use the, 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 the plant, but you also use an extracts um, mm. as well. I mean, I'm not saying that the, the extracts ibogaine, but there's, so there's, there's three, three things here. There's um, ibogaine, which would, is the isolated alkaloid, you know, m made by scientists. You've got the original plant and then you've got this tincture um, extract that you use. C could you describe the differences between those three things, please? Yes, yeah, so the first would be the iboga right from the plant. So the root bark is used of the plant. So it's just typically kind of scraped off and peeled with a knife. And depending on how old the plant is, that root bark will get thicker and thicker. And uh, so that's where the medicine is, is located. So Typically that's served, um, it'll be ground up really fine and as a powder, it can just be served off a spoon or how we serve it here is off, off of a spoon and you can drink it down with some water. And um, you know, the thing with having, if somebody has a higher tolerance and they have to take down several spoons of that, at some point they're not gonna be able to take down enough because it's gonna, gonna come up, you know. And um, so that's why we make the total alkaloid extract, um, which is essentially all the alkaloids in Iboga, which I believe there's 13 alkaloids. So all the alkaloids of the plant in a concentrated version uh, form. And so we do that. There's different ways to do it. And there's a way to use like chemicals. We use just natural 5% acid white vinegar and do the extract that way. So it isn't organic extract. And so to a degree, the powder, the root bark from the plant cleanses a bit more physically. Um, and it can be a bit harder on the stomach. And the total alkaloid extract goes a little bit deeper into the mind and also lasts longer. 
it, uh, yeah, it lasts quite a while. And so, and then you've got ibogaine, which is one of those 13 alkaloids, which, um, you know, I think is good for people that are doing like a drug detox. As far as I'm aware, I've never had ibogaine, but it's not, from what I've heard from people that have come here, they say it's not as deep of an experience and it seems to go through you quicker. So you recover a little bit quicker. So that's kind of ideal if you are doing detox work, but I think um, Ibogaine should only be used in detox work. If you're coming for anything else, um, you want the spirit of the plant in it. You know, that's, you know, nature produced it that way specifically for us. So use it that way. And, um, and yes, yeah, so you know, the Ibogaine for detox and the, uh, root bark powder that's typically what you would have in gabon as well as root bark powder or fresh root bark kind of finely sliced strips of iboga where it's still malleable and um, you know you can chew on it there's juice in it make your mouth really numb and then uh, sometimes they'll make a tea with the root bark powder you know just boil it for several hours into a little concentrated shot and that go, goes in you um, quicker and it leaves quicker too. So there's some, you know, some benefit to that. If, uh, you know, you've had, have, had a lot of iboga and, you know, you want to sleep the next 16 hours or so. Um, yeah. 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 Hopefully that helps. Yeah, that does. That does. Yeah. I mean, I fit you. So you say there's 13 different alkaloids in this, um, extract you do. And, you know, my hunch is that, all of these alkaloids kind of work in some synergistic fashion to produce, you know, this amazing experience. And, um, you know, scientists and venture capitalists and people like that are always looking to kind of get the bit they want, you know, taken out of the, the integrated matrix of the substance, you know, so they can do whatever they want with it. And, and you can have the some aspect of the experience but without the whole of it and I think um it's something I feel very strongly is that the, the substance the experience the way it changes your life is is embedded in in a in a kind of comp complex matrix of <clears throat> phenomena and and trying to pull one little piece out um you know, it can be effective for something specific, but it's almost like, you know, my wonder is why, why do that when there's so much to be gained from the rest of it all? Um, that, you know, why? Yeah. But it, I'm always a bit suspicious of, of, of wanting to break things apart and just take little bits out. Well, I understand, you know, there is a place for that sometimes that, you know, certain discoveries are made and different medicines um, are discovered that way. But I, I think probably in this case, um, my, my instinct would pull me towards the, um, you know, the, the actual full, full plant. Um, yeah, man, that, that's a good point. And I kind of love that part about these plants anyways is, you know, like you said, uh, you know, the investors and, you know, the people looking to make money off of it are coming. But what I really believe and, and 
think is true is like the way to work with these medicines uh, and working with them in a natural form is always going to be the best way. So I think even if they do, you know, get it down to a prescription and sitting with a psychologist, I think word is still going to be like, no, you want to go do it in this environment with, you know, people that know how to do it with the actual plant. And so, um, you know, and there's going to, like you said, there's some people that just aren't going to come to Costa Rica. They're just not comfortable, you know, going anywhere. So, but they would do it, say, with their psychiatrist or, or whoever, and that can be helpful. But I, I, I really don't think they're going to be able to improve upon what's already already here. Like mm -hmm. Maybe it'll be able to you know, make a product and make some money off of it, but they're they're not going to get better results than, you know, working with, you know, people that are, that are trusted and reputable with, you know, the right medicine. Your, your, uh, Iboga is, is, is an unscheduled substance in Costa Rica. I mean, it's, it's, um, legal to run your center and stuff. So, um, but that's not the case in other parts, you know, other parts of the world. I mean, it's kind of there seem to be areas of the world where iboga's kind of in a gray zone legally other places where it's totally legal and then other places where it's completely banned like the us um you know so what what's the the, the status of iboga currently in costa rica for example it, yeah it is along with all the other plant medicines um Un, you know, unclassified or, or uncontrolled. And so, um, you know, I, there's, there's a lot of different retreats here, ayahuasca, um, you know, mushrooms and combo and San Pedro. And so one thing is for sure is that the government definitely likes the tax revenue that's coming from that. Yeah, and good for them. It makes, it makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so they, you know, they're, they're accepting of it and it's starting also to just creep into the general Costa Rican culture. Like there's, I know some Costa Ricans that have had their life changed and end up working with medicine and, you know, following that, that path. And they're generally pr pretty open to like natural healing modalities and working with plants. And so that's kind of in their DNA. So that's kind of in, the, in their, their culture, you know, to work with natural plants and, and conservation. And so, you know, if you describe it to some of them, they'll be like, I don't know about that, but they're at least open to people coming in, you know, yeah. getting healing. So yeah, no, it's, a, it's the spot to be. I mean, you know, I guess, uh, you know, there's, there's Peru, of course, I would say probably Costa Rica is kind of the second most well-known kind of plant medicine spot at this point you know, and then other parts of uh, South America. Wow. Uh, Costa Rica just keeps, it keeps coming in, into my life from different areas of just like, uh, you know, it seems to be a really, really cool place. And I've just got to get there someday <laughs> for so many reasons. Yeah. Yeah, you know, get, get in touch if you do, man. We'll have a, have a spot for you. <laughs> thanks the um i think probably the the last thing i, I mean the, just the first thing to say is 
Uh, I mean, this has been really interesting conversation for me. Not normally in a podcast, I do way more talking because I've got lots to say about things. But th this subject, I've just I'm I'm a noob to this, and I've just it's just been so amazing to be able to ask someone like you um, all of these questions and have you answer them because you all it's clear that you've you've got, got so much experience uh, with this medicine, the traditional use and Westerners using it and all of that stuff. And it's, it, you know, I really appreciate your generosity in, in, in sharing that, you know, it's, um, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Oh, just that, just out of interest. Um, is, is it Boga something that you, uh, you know, how often do you personally um, eat a Boga? Um, you know, I mean, it's what the reason why I ask is that with with some substances, people take them very, very regularly. You know, like every week, every month. Sometimes with other sub, you know, substances, people sort of, you know, it's like once a year or once every five years, or you know, those those it, it does vary, and um, there are you know, sometimes people take something way too often for their own good, you know, and they don't have enough time to integrate the, the experiences and lessons learned and become a bit dependent on it. So, you know, what, what would, what would, is the kind of recommended, if, if this was became a way of life for somebody, a boga was like their medicine, they, you know, that was like the, the plant they wanted to work with, What's the kind of frequency that people take it? <clears throat> so it's it's different in that way. You know, you may hear people doing, you know, 100 plus ayahuasca ceremonies or, you know, many peyote ceremonies. And with, with Iboga, um, you know, it really teaches people how to teach themselves. So at some point, they're working with the medicine and integrating it properly. It's going to be like, you don't really need me to figure out, you know, this issue or to move past anything. Like you just need to keep working and, you know, refining you, yourself and your life. And so there was a period, you know, I was working with the medicine, working with groups. So we always take it during ceremony with the groups, but in smaller amounts, you know, so I take it quite often that way as an um, essentially a microdose or a medium dose during ceremony. And so, um, you know, it's been, been two and a half, three years. Uh, it's probably been two and a half years since I've had a kind of a bigger dose. And so through, you know, my last 12 years or so of being around this medicine, I've had eight or nine experiences with it. So that comes down to less than you know, one per year. There was a stretch where I didn't have, you know, was working with the medicine full time, but didn't have a big experience for, you know, two and a half, three years. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of more normal with Iboga. Like you'll have your big experiences, get the breakthroughs, get whatever you need from it. Then it's going to give you a path to follow and like, you know, kind of your homework to go do. And so then it's, you know, it's time to do that. And, you know, with that said, people will want to connect with the medicine in, in a smaller amount. Um, but for bigger ceremonies, if you're around Iboga long enough, like those years in between are going to get longer and longer. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah, it's such, 
especially once somebody gets through with two of these here, they don't want iboga for a while. Like, <laughs> I'm good. Like, you know, it's beautiful and it's powerful, but you don't, you know, you're set for a while. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that that's really nice to hear because yeah quite often you know there is such a thing as too much of a good thing you know and with a lot of different plant medicines out there i i feel people take them too frequently you know for, for, for um I, i'm not i'm not like some kind of um uh you know i'm, I'm not um, yeah. prudish about the, these things and i and i mean i think I think these medicines are amazing and they've uh, you know, transformed my life. Um, but, uh, and, and I'm all for people of, you know, things being practice, you know, sort of uh, a, a regular practice and, and checking in uh, regularly with, with different things. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I've, you, you speak to, and I might speak to another person about another substance and they're like, yeah, just get as much of this in you, you know, and uh, uh, as much as you can for as long as you can. And then um, uh, that'll, that'll just do it, you know? Um, and, uh, and I, I, I don't feel that's, that's the way to go actually. Uh, I think with, 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 di with different substances, uh, different medicines, different frequencies, I think do apply. I mean, something like cannabis, you know, that's, not like smoke one joint every um two or three years <laughs> you know it's not that kind of thing and you know with uh you know mushrooms a bit more frequent but uh, you know as well but i think that there are certain substances like um you know like iboga and, and for me ayahuasca has, has been something that's been so powerful i haven't wanted to do it more than once every few years you know it's um uh Whereas, whereas other medicines are, you know, a little bit more, more frequent. Um, but that it's, that, that, that's, that's good. I appreciate you, you saying that. And, and it's in, in, good to know that that's like part of the tradition too. Um, you must've heard of the Kaikion um, from ancient Greece, you know, with the Eleus Eleusinian mysteries, um, yeah. they would drink. So that quite a, you know, that was a one-time thing um for for most people you know it was uh that was one time in your life um and uh so yeah um great well i mean the last thing i'll say that you know that i'd written down before our conversation was that the i i've listened to a lot of um pygmy music um in my life um and one of the things that really stands out is the happiness in in um, the the music uh, from that part of the world, you know, and and those people. And I, there's, I listen to a lot of very early recordings from um, like the 1950s and, and things like that that people did. I, I studied world music um, at university and. Um, with the with the singing the kind of yodeling and all of that stuff and and but then you know sort of more modern version of that is uh the the band backer beyond um and do you, do you know have you heard of backer beyond i haven't no i mean so have you heard of the backer tribe yeah yeah, yeah. um 
I mean, I, I don't know whether Iboga is, is part of, you know, it's used by the Baka tribe. I haven't looked that up, but, um, you know, there's something about the, the pygmy people that their, their music is so friendly and celebratory and, and happy and joyous. And uh, it, for me, it, it kind of communicates something about the, um, you know, the heart of that, the feltness of, the, of that culture and that, that kind of bright um, happiness and just, yeah, just like a joy of, of, of being alive really seems to come through in, in, in their, their music. And I think you, you play uh, a, a traditional Bwiti instrument. Is that right? Yes, whenever uh, it's a, it's a whole thing of like you know there's there's two main ones one's like a mouth bow. I've I've seen that one, yeah. Yeah, and then there's an eight string harp, and I do I do uh, I'm learning learning them. Um, you know they get tough to the maintenance on them. You know because they're so. You know, essentially for that for that mouth, we'll have to go look for the right branch and cut it and get the strap on there and be able to tune it. So it's definitely like a learning experience, learning to you know tune everything and get it to where it needs to be. But yeah, yeah, I do do play and and love the music. And I, yeah, I would really be interested if you if you have any links or anything you could share with uh, pygmy music. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Well, I I mean I'd. Um... I went to a university that had uh, an amazing library of music, um, you know, with with all, all of these early recordings that people have made. But I mean, people can check it out. I mean, look up, um, you know, some of these these early recordings of, of pygmy singing, and um, it's just the most incredible music. I love it. Uh, and if you want to listen to kind of modern uh, synthesis with the, with that style of singing in it, the, the band Backer Beyond um, are, are really cool. Yeah, I, re I really like them. Well, wow. Um, thank you so much, um, Levi. And it, is there, so, I mean, we've mentioned your retreat center a few times, but so if, so, if someone was listening to this and they wanted to find out more about your retreat center, um, you know, what's the best uh, way for them to go? Yeah, so ibogawellness.com. And we have um, our phone number there. If anybody wants to call or email, we can send you uh, kind of a retreat overview so you can see everything that's happening. And yeah, yeah, feel free to get in, anybody that's called. You know, if you want to get in touch, feel free. Great. Well, it, you've really piqued my interest in it. Um, and and there's quite a lot of, I don't know, just misinformation and urban myths about Iboga. And and I feel like you've really cleared up some of those in, in my mind. Um, and, um, you know, Iboga was something I, I felt, it's kind of been on my to-do list, um, you know, before I die go to Costa Rica, <laughs> uh, do a boga ceremony. And um, yeah, I was, a bit, I was a bit kind of, bit of, you know, I was a bit, a bit afraid of it really, um, because it's got a, uh, a reputation um, of being quite a difficult experience. But talking to you and, you know, knowing you were so experienced with it, 
has kind of um, calmed some of those fears I've had um, around it. And, and hopefully, you know, other people that are listening to this feel that they've got, you know, like a, um, a, a realistic and, um, uh, un, you know, unbiased description of, of the whole world and surrounding voga and, and the treatment stuff from you so and i you know really appreciate your your honesty and and uh, and humbleness that have really come across in this conversation beautiful yeah, yeah no, thanks so much for uh allowing me to spread the word of iboga and uh yeah hope hope, hope we do see you for some time here in costa rica yeah okay well Goodbye, Levi. It's been such a pleasure to meet you. I almost don't want to end the call because I've enjoyed it so much. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, no, thanks so much. No, yeah, hopefully we'll be in touch and thank you for doing this. I made all the music that I use in my podcasts. If you'd like to hear more of my music, please visit SoundCloud and check out my profile, Ralph Cream.